everybody and welcome to episode 53 Chin Music, a podcast shed by Fangraphs. Graham Cold, the Cow Illinois, I'm Kevin Goldstein. Joining me, of course this week he's joining me from lovely Tempe, Arizona. It's Fangraphs' very own, Eric Longenhagen. Eric, how are you? Pretty good. Counting our picks to click to make sure that I didn't misreport how many there were in the little table at the top of the piece. <laughs> what did we end up with, 45? It says 46 at the top of the piece, but okay. I, I don't know if I counted exactly right. I'll do it later. <laughs> um, so later. We have, don't yeah, we have, a, we have a special episode for you. Um, it feels weird doing this. I'm not going to lie. Um, like it's, I it's feel like things really went to shit in the world last night. And it feels like you and I are just going to sit here and talk about baseball and half of me is like, I don't know if I can do this. And it's just like, well, then what else the hell am I supposed to do? Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not some sort of global analyst. I don't, you know, I'm not going to get drafted. I, I I don't know if I, like we can shut the whole world down. Like, we should shut them down. But, like, I it, I don't know what to do. Like, other than just do the show, right? I guess I feel the same way. Like, there are a bunch of baseball games here in town starting today and... I don't know. I was up last night working on stuff when the real violent parts of the conflict began. And yeah, it, it washed over me in a different... Obviously, this none of this is surprising that this is occurring. This is something that uh, has been collectively anticipated by the rest of the world now for a while. I mean, going back to... I mean, going back several years... Um, but now it's here in a way that hit, definitely hit me different last night. So, yeah, um, I don't – there's something, I think, poisonous about our collective willingness to, like, ignore and compartmentalize. And we have so many outlets for doing it that it makes it hard to address any real problems, especially, like, chronic stuff like climate change, um, any of the environmental stuff, anything that – you know, COVID, obviously – uh, we've just all done a pretty lousy job. So now that this is happening over there, I don't know. I don't know what our collective response is really going to be. I think I know what the governmental responses are, are going to be. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, it seems like this is going to be a mess. Yeah, it's not good. War is bad. Always bad. U.S. military intervention would be bad, always is bad, but you have to do something here, like other than say you can't have Cheetos anymore, which seems to be the extent of the sanctions. Um, let's just talk about baseball here. Okay. So here's what we're going to do today. Um, obviously, it's Prospects Week. Obviously, um, the top 100 came out. One of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, days, traffic-wise, at fangrass.com. 
uh, Eric and myself, along with Tess, worked very, very hard on the top 100 list. I thought it was a really good list. I'm just going to kind of walk you through the list. It's going to be the whole show, us talking through the top 100. Um, I, you know, we talk about labor every week, it seems, and we're not really going to talk about it. I will simply say this about labor. Um, they're talking every day, and that's a good thing. And you can't, this is where I'm going to sound like a hypocrite, but you can't really... Um, don't ride the roller coaster, if you will, on labor. Um, like, you know, I know yesterday was a lot of like hard line stuff and it felt really bad and things felt really awful. Um, but they're still talking again today. And that's the thing. Like, don't, this has been, this is on the same pace it's been for weeks, if not months, um, of a delayed spring training and a delayed season, but not a disaster. It's still on that pace. It's been on that pace the entire time. Nothing has changed. Don't get worried until one of the sides says we're not talking anymore. That's when you should get worried until then, like just sit back and, 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 and watch it, but don't, don't get too worked up or, or change how you feel about what's going to happen on kind of the day to day. TikTok of this whole thing, if you will, <laughs> the TikTok of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you have had time to even half pay attention to any of the labor stuff. Some of it is because I'm not like scrolling, Twitter anymore, uh, so I don't really smarter have than most. Great sense of what's going on, let alone what people's reaction to it is. Um, yeah. As I have avoided that space, although I have seen the back of Craig Edwards' head in a lot of pictures of <laughs> Max Scherzer. <laughs> Any of just a tip um, for the national baseball writers who are like covering this stuff and are standing outside of a parking lot trying to take cell phone footage of people who are a couple hundred feet away, invest in a fucking camera. (laughs) (laughs) Just get a a Sony Vixia like 500. It's, it's a couple hundred bucks. Maybe, maybe if you find like a refurbished or used one, they're perfectly good. Like you get a 30 X zoom. It'll trust me. It's not like a huge load. You're not. It's not like you're carrying a steady cam around. It just fits in your hand, the same way your phone does, and it is, does a does a much better job. You can't filter whatever, you know, you know, selfie thing. But trust me. <laughs> I just, yeah, I did. I hear you. I, I I hope. Uh... Yes, I hope we get better photos, and I hope we quit making a big deal about the fact that Max Scherzer drove up in a Porsche. That was a thing. Yesterday. We aren't someone, like someone showed like Max Scherzer drives up in a Porsche. I'm like, that's great. Show the private planes all the owners flew in on. Um, yeah, that's weird. That seems it's very weird. strange. <laughs> so it, it's just so weird. Um, Maybe they liked it. I don't know. No, it was like it was like saying, "Oh, like look at these rich guys complaining." It's meant it was, to imply that very that, much. Yeah. That was that was the tone. Look at these rich guys complaining. Like no. the owners, like every owner flew in on a private jet. Like what are you doing here? And then there's the back of Craig's head. And there's the back of Craig's head. Hi, Craig. Uh, so our top 100 prospects came out, uh, yesterday. It is currently Thursday morning. Um, I, I, I'm very happy with this list. I'm very happy that, that, that the, the readership we got, we had a very busy chat. We got a lot of comments. We got a lot of feedback. I've already done a little radio today. Um, <clears throat> I like the fact that our list is, you know, when people say, oh, your list is so much different from whoever, Baseball America or Key Law or whoever, I'm like, good that's great to hear um 
I don't look at those lists when I rank prospects. I, and I, I, cause I, I, a, that's their list and not mine. And I'm not saying that those guys do baseball America does really good work. And Keith thought does really good work. And, and, but like we rank the guys the way we want to rank them. And I think you know, looking at other lists can a create anchoring, which is a really bad thing. Um, and group think, which is a really bad thing. Like this is, this is our list. This is the way we did it. And, um, it is definitely a consensus list, and I think that's a good thing as well. Um, there are certainly people here I am higher and lower on. There are people here that Eric is higher and lower on, and, and, and our top 100 list would, would look um, different, at times dramatically so. Um, but I think, you know, I, I really like where this list ended up. I think it's a great list. I was very happy with the end result. Yeah, there have been a couple times during the course of the last couple of weeks as we've really been bogged down grinding away at this stuff where I have had like surges of energy from like feeling satisfied with the work itself. Um, And there was a point when I DM'd both you guys in Slack when I was just like, this is, this list is really sexy. And (laughs) yeah, it just feels, it feels good. I don't know quite so much about like the group think stuff because when we, whenever I chat period half of the questions are just some permutation of the stuff that the chat on Wednesday was full of like questions that are just like, what, what do you think differently than, you know, this or that? And it's just, I don't understand where some of that stuff comes from. Uh, I don't know. Like I'm obviously like, I just feel free to call Kylie and Keith and Jim and just talk about whatever. Mm -hmm. And Nick, the fact that we like Nick Nostrini or whatever just comes up. Right, Um, right, right. And it's important to note that like, you know, if you look at this list and and look at the the list at fangraphs.com and look at that last column, the FV column, um, you know, our number 33 prospect Jackson Job has a 50 and our number 114 prospect, Reginald Preciado, has a 50. You know, and, and so, you know, if you go, oh, I can't believe that guy's in the 60s, he should be in the 80s. Um, okay. Right, yeah, <laughs> <You know>? totally <laughs> fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that if if you were uh, the White Sox, that you'd probably want, like, Rowanti Contreras or Josh Lowe or something and not Reggie Preciado – but if you're the Pirates, you might want you're Richie thinking Preciado. about trading Brian Reynolds, you know? Yeah, like, right, right, right. Because it's just, it's once you start getting into the would you rather, well, it depends, then the guys should be fairly close in terms of what their overall grade is. Yeah. And then the grade isn't just to be like, to, to reflect the peak or player, like it's a, an amalgam of, what could this player be at the high end? What could this player be at the low end? And how long will it take them to get there? And then so we have, you know, the low variance 50s like Reed Detmers. Right. Is that now? Uh, right. He's a 50 right now. And then the extreme variance 50s like Khalil Watson, who might be a seven or who might be nothing. Yes. And we'll talk about variance later. Um, let's start at the top. Uh, with the only 70 on the list, number one, Adley Rushman. And it's important to note, like, there are people we talk to. We, I, I, I would be fun to just make a spreadsheet and just count the number of people that, um, that at one, one point or another influenced this list. Um, it might be a hundred. 
It might be more. I don't, like it's it's a lot. Like, so it's 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 scouts, it's analysts, it's player development people, it's uh, executives. It's uh, I had a lot of WhatsApp messages to people in Dominican who have you know his history with some of the players that are, that are from Latin America. Um, it's a lot of people, and, and first of all, thanks to all of them. But like it, it, a lot of people helped influence this list. But um, it's hard to get unanimity, and I, we may have had it last year with with Wander Franco. I think we probably did. Um, but that's that's the exception, not the rule. And there are people who don't think Adley Rushman's the best prospect in baseball. It's an extreme minority. Um, but there are people who, who say, well, you know, the power might not be what you think it is. Um, and, and, and some other issues, and he might not be the world beater you think he is. Um, but this is the only guy we put a 70 on. I'm comfortable with it. This guy is going to be a very good player, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily is going to be a face of the franchise superstar because the chances are actually for any player that they're not going to be that. Yeah. I think that Adley has stuff happening for him that will, even if it turns out that he is merely very good rather than like elite generational type guy, um, the, the on field intensity, the charisma piece of it, like this guy is going to be the face of this franchise. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that the power on contact in games from from Rutschman is only okay. It's still great for a catcher, right? And when you look at what it takes to be a six at catcher, like look at Sean Murphy, who's really really good. Uh, most of his value is tied up in his defense. He hit two fifteen, three oh five, four oh five, and was still a three win catcher. I think. Adley is every bit the defender that Sean Murphy is, mm-hmm. which is to say he's also excellent and is going to do uh, quite a bit more than that offensively. Mike Zanino hit 215, got to a ton of power, and was a four-and-a-half win player. It's a really good way to think about it. Yeah, like if Adley Rushman um, – and I first of all, I think it's unfortunate that this would disappoint people. But if Adley Rushman hits 278 with 24 bombs – a good walk rate and plays plus defense. Like he's a five or six win player. Right. Yeah. You're just describing, you know, peak Real Muto basically. Yeah. Switch hitting Real Muto. Um, and people go, oh, it wasn't as good as you said he's going to be. Like it's a great player. Great. Player. Um, and, and, and um, so I feel good about him. Uh, was there much, do you feel like, like there's a, a, and there's a kind of good these guys that both have 65 is kind of like going against what I just said. But like, is there a big debate between who's the best second or who the second best position player prospect is in terms of kind of comparing the two 65s we have in, in, in Bobby Witt Jr. and Julio Rodriguez? And in, in the end, is it just Witt's defense that makes the difference or his position, which is which is important? I think that it is a, it is a huge part of it. Um, I think that the confidence. In the hit tool piece, which if you just go back and look at the top 100 lists that anyone has done over the last 5, 10 years, the hitters who don't pan out tend to be the ones who have hit tool risk for some reason. Uh, a lot and of the time overwhelming the time, it's an approach issue. Right, yes. At least in, in, the, in the ways that I have tended to miss or be heavy on, on guys, it is often their approach turned out to be bad. Um, Witt has swing and miss issues in the zone a little bit, like related to his bat path, not necessarily like swing decisions. There have been stretches where Julio Rodriguez has been a little apt to chase sliders. Um, there are just 
instances throughout the course of prospecting, like my prospecting history, where like Byron Buxton was godlike the whole time, and then whoops, big league sliders too good for, for him. <laughs> it just was that way for a very long time, and then weirdly he started to really bang sliders the last couple of years. But that's besides the point. Like I think that yeah, we have wit ahead of Julio largely because even if if Bobby ends up with like a four bat, he's still a star just because he's going to be getting to power and playing an extremely valuable position. Whereas if there's something wrong with Julio's bat, which obviously we don't think there is, or, or he wouldn't be up here. Right. Um, then that it's, it's a shakier. He's on thin ice. Right. Um, right. As a corner outfielder, you got to hit. Got to hit. Um, I, I did radio in Baltimore this morning and, and this is Baltimore. That's where the, the Orioles play. Uh, and they were surprised to, to, to see Grayson Rodriguez as high as he was. We have him number three overall, um, the best pitching prospect by a pretty wide margin. Um, the only pitching prospect in the top 10, actually. Um, you know, in, in, in talking to people who had seen him and, and talking to people who had looked at his stuff on a pitch data level, uh, I have no problem with him here. His stuff is just overwhelming. It is, it is. He could pitch in the big leagues right now and outstuff people. He obviously yeah. has some refinements to make and some, you know, conversion from thrower to pitcher kind of things and some pitch efficiency things. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, there's always the big question. And we've gotten to this point where I think you have to look at every pitching prospect this way because no one gets the question. Like, is this guy going to be an exception to the third time through the order rule? Can this guy hold up through 180 innings? Like, we don't know because we don't know that about any pitching prospect because of, of no one gets developed that way, right? Especially when we have a missing 2020 season. Yeah. Really hard to build 100 innings, 120 innings, 140 innings. Now I'm in the big leagues. Like no one's, no one in this group is doing that because it hasn't been possible for them to have done that. Um, but yeah, this was clearly the best guy on the initial iteration of the list. Grayson was in the 60s, and then a bunch of the other high-end arms were in the 55s. Lighter and George Kirby just because of certainty. Boz was there because I was just slow to move on Boz. Uh, and, uh, on a roll level. And then was there anybody else even in there? We moved, And then Abel moved into that tier as we worked on the Phillies list just because his upside is basically to be like where Boz or maybe even Grayson is eventually. Like he yeah, has all those components. Stuff's fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, but as we went through, Grayson is not only different than the other pitchers in this class, but better than a lot of the ones towards the top of most other classes. He's clearly in a tier on his own. And then Boz ended up in tier two on his own uh, among pitchers just being in the 60s and just outside uh, the top 10. And yeah, like Grayson, it's five, maybe six pitches that are all plus or better. His changeup is unbelievable. Right. There's there's like multiple pitches scouts have thrown 70s on. Yeah, yeah. And I just put an eight like on the changeup. Like I just... Yeah, you know, he's, he's really impressive. His, yeah, it's incredible. But like that question of like, you know, can this guy really go 32 times pitch under eight innings? Like, I don't know, but I don't know that about any pitching prospect because you just don't know that till you try it. And, and that never gets tried in the, in the minor leagues. And I'm not saying that's wrong because I don't think it is. I'm just saying that's just how it is. Then are we dumb for continuously putting pitchers up 
this high at all. I mean, this is the question that's I've asked mm-hmm. myself that's been asked uh, in chats and just a thing that I think the people who do this for a living collectively ask themselves, like, why do we keep doing this? It would not surprise me if Grayson Rodriguez in July, like, blew out and then now you're talking about him missing the rest of 22, right. probably all of 23 because of the timing of the surgery. And then is it AJ Puck all over again? Is it Forrest Whitley all over again? Is it, you know, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Alex Reyes? Like, there are a number of examples. So I, I think the issue with that, is, I, I just, everything you're saying is right. I guess this is, everything you said is, is absolutely correct, but I feel like you end up in a weird spot if you're just going to say every pitcher sucks and we have to downgrade them all. It's it's kind of like you can end up in a real trap there, and I think a good example is like, um, like pre like like early money ball philosophies of we're only taking college players. Like, and, and I am this analogy is going to make sense to you in a second. Um, like just the whole we're only taking college players. I think to simply eliminate a huge portion of the player pool because of the risk is 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 kind of a a stroke too far um and so i think we have to accept that they have the risk but the thing is like if grayson rodriguez does prove he's 32 180 he might be the number one guy on this list right yep um i think that the way things have shifted in response to just you know failing over and over again and feeling like, (laughs) you know, bad about it is that the shift looks like what the shift across the big league, like pitcher usage looks like where Mm -hmm, guys mm -hmm. like Blake Snell only go five ish innings, Tariq Skubal, et cetera, et cetera. The, the premium guys, Cole Scherzer, Corbin Burns, seemingly, you know, they are, producing elite rate stats and have a a huge workload still at the very, very top. It's just fewer guys doing that, fewer guys trying to do that. And so you end up with a bunch of the the pitching population moving closer to the middle, fewer 60s and up. The guys who are 60s and up become more valuable because of their scarcity. And then you have a bunch of 50s, and 45s and guys in that range who are either inefficient, uh, you know, strike throwers who are missing a ton of bats, or the opposite of that, guys who are throwing a high volume of innings but are more like, you know, eight, nine Ks per nine type guys, which I can't believe, you know, I just spoke yeah, of as if a it bad, were mediocre. Yeah, right, it's uh, not enough. Uh, uh, and it's not, so, but yeah. So let me reverse this question, though, because this goes back to the 32-180 thing. And I, this is something I've thought about a lot. Um, and I th- maybe the perfect example might be D.L. Hall, where if, if D.L. Hall is probably going to be a reliever. I think we agree on that. If you're going to throw 20 bucks down, at the end of the day, he's a reliever, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. But he does have a chance to be a starter, right? Yes. And in, in the – you know, I we see how the Rays deal with starters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's going to change, but I also think that's also going to spread – and so if all of a sudden we see starters as going 145 to 150 innings a year, does that change how we look at this stuff? Yeah, I think it has to. I think that you are spreading – if innings are part of how you're generating 
war. And those innings are just starting to be distributed dif- differently among the pitching population, not just with the starters that you're talking about, but those bulk one-time through the order reliever types who are coming in in the middle of ga- in the middle of games. Like that's just a totally new role. Instead of six or seven innings from your starter, single inning, single inning, single inning, out of the bullpen, you're talking about four innings from your starter sometimes, then two from your Josh Fleming type reliever, the guy who's coming in to give you a different look, uh, just go one time through the order. Tommy Romero, like it's, you can see the Rays have just collected guys like this mm-hmm. who have sneaky this and that deception that plays when the hitter only sees them for one at bat and then has diminishing returns, anything subsequent to that. And so that is why we started to have the multi-inning relief pitcher distinction on the players, uh, on the lists and, mm-hmm. and stuff like we're just starting to project guys to do that. Um, and I, I don't know that it makes, I think you have to think about where you line those roles up though. Uh, and what it means to like be someone who is a generic fourth starter, who's still maybe going to throw 180 plus innings, uh, but not do as well as someone who throws 120, but is, but they're going to they're gonna accumulate. Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think about a lot, and I, I, I hate to bring up D.L. Hall again, but I think he might be the example of this, is that um, I think along with what we just talked about, with I think more teams are going to be starting their pitchers like the Rays do. I think with that is going to come a time, and, and it's going to require the, the right arm and the right strategy, but I think we are going to get back to, if you, if you look at, um, like, you know, short history lesson but like go go open up baseball reference right now and, and look up like mid-70s relief aces like look up um goose gossage bruce Suter, sparky lyle um this guy's through 100 this guy's through 120 innings yep. um you know and i think we are going to get back to having these kind of relief aces that are going 60 70 games 120 innings and all of a sudden if you can accumulate that kind of inning total even out of the bullpen you can be right there on, for example, a war leaderboard when you have tons of starters going like 150 and President Pierce agrees. Yeah, I so does Admiral Longenhagen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that especially again, we're coming off of a season where these Pitching prospects didn't really have an opportunity to build a foundation of innings to get your prospects feet wet in the big leagues in a multi-inning relief role means that they can still, they still have like a reason to throw all of their pitches. You're not just throwing them out there single inning stints and then you end up in like the Papelbon situation where this guy started the whole time, then he was a closer and now we can either try to revisit the starting thing, but but it's a, a pretty stark contrast in the, the innings uh, workload, but you don't have quite that uh, like increase when the pitcher's throwing multiple innings. And if you do have someone like Freddie Peralta or Luis Patino, who you can throw out there for two, three innings at a time, every four days, you're putting them in two games at a time when they can impact it with their stuff. They're pitching important situations but they're still working long enough that you can like slowly incrementally build their innings. And then eventually maybe they start or build into this type of role that you're talking about, which 
you know, seem to go away as if in response to like the creation of the save statistic, basically. So, um, yeah, I think it's very interesting. And a lot of the premium relievers from the last 20, 30 years are guys who were just starting pitching prospects who didn't work out. Some of them you could would have guessed, like Aroldis Chapman, if you would have told me when he was at Louisville, this guy's just going to be a reliever, but he's going to be one of the best relievers in, in the history of the planet. Uh, he should still be way, way high on your prospect list. But then you have the Liam Hendricks types who right. come out of nowhere, who are like back-end starter prospects and then become premium relievers. So uh, that is the type of guy where it is hard to identify who is going to have the huge, huge arm strength increase from a move to the bullpen and just belongs you know, in this sort of area already, at least in the 100 area, maybe not in like the DL Hall and above, you know, the Chapman hater. Like it shouldn't have mattered what you thought Josh Hader was going to do, start or relieve. Like he should have just been like a 60 or whatever. Right. Corbin Burns is the version of it that became a starter faster than his command profile in the minors and early majors maybe made me think and he was like stuffed anyway like there are a bunch of examples of these guys going one way or the other right when you think about liam hendricks like there's there's a hundred guys not on the top 100 right now where if you said to me well if he goes to the pen and throws 98 he'll be great I'll go, yep right. <laughs> you know of course he will yep. um that's it for the 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 65s the first two 60s are both tigers um and not only both tigers but both tigers who um got to triple a last year and so uh, this is not a situation where it might be a while. Um, you know, the Tigers had a really good year last year on, in, in, on the Tiger scale, if you will. You know, they they had a losing record, um, but like there was, you'd be a fool not to see there was a huge step forward for them in in a lot of ways. Um, and then they have two guys coming who might be middle of the order presences for them in, in Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Um, I know you're a huge Riley Green fan. I'm a huge Spencer Torkelson fan. Um, but, you know, I, the White Sox don't have a lot of competition in the Central right now, but there's, like, and the, the Tigers aren't the only team. There's some stuff coming. Oh, yeah, and I think that Cleveland is right there ready to reload. The, the Twins have had, stuff coming. had, yeah, the Twins had an anomalistic season mm-hmm. in, in 2021. And, yeah, the Royals are on the rise as well. I think that this is going to be one of the more exciting divisions in baseball over the next like two three years uh does that does detroit have the pitching depth right now i think that some of some of that is starting to, to manifest as well mostly in the bullpen but um elvin rodriguez and alex fiedo and joey wentz and some of those guys who are on the 40 man and represent like upper level depth right now i, I don't know if we'll have to see how that goes right um just from the royals rebound obviously they like added eduardo rodriguez and stuff but you know, like just from those royals teams that eventually won a world series all of those pitching prospects that were part of that resurgent like group it was really like the granky deal that pushed that the amount of depth that they had over the top but so many of those pitching prospects didn't work out uh, they got hurt or just weird stuff happened. There was plenty of attrition in that space for, for the Royals. And I think that's probably going to happen to the Tigers too. Because it happens got, to most. 
Manning, Scooble, Mize, like, would it surprise me if a couple of those guys, for whatever reason, just didn't quite get to be what we thought they were going to be? No, I'd expect it. Uh, so having a critical mass of pitching, I think, is is the thing that Detroit is a little bit short on right now. But yeah, I just think that Torque Torque doesn't have to be put on the forty man until after twenty twenty three. But I, I just think he's going to be up this year. Yeah, he'll be up think. this year. Um, and then I think Riley Greenwell too. And yeah, I think they're both going to be thirty plus home run guys. Um, yeah, they're both scary, scary bats. Really, really good players. Um, I I, I want to talk about the name. Like he's sitting at number eight, and I, I I feel like this guy really excites you more than me. Um, and I think it's because of the upside, which I get. Um, just the wrist does bother me, but it's 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 gigantic pirate shortstop O'Neill Cruz. Um, just talk about like why you like him so much. Just I, you know when I think about the countless hours of conversations the three of us had while doing these this list, like you you love this guy's upside. Yeah, I he's freakish in a in a way that I've not really experienced before. Maybe it's like if Aaron Judge could maybe play shortstop, you know, like Aaron Judge before when he was still a prospect was just in the in the 75 range on the list and there were comments back when mm-hmm. I read those at the early, in my early days of doing this that were like why is Aaron Judge even here? Uh, and it's just because the high end is what it is because there's so much power and you just have to factor in those potential outcomes. And this guy's stayed at shortstop and yeah, and for uh, those who don't know, this is a six foot seven shortstop. I remember writing about him. There was a year when he was still with the Dodgers when he went from being six, four, six, five, to being six foot seven, to measuring like six eight in his spikes, and like people with the Dodgers talking about how he had just measured in at six eight in his spikes and was about to go out and play shortstop that day. Right, and it, if you go, if you ever been to an Astros game, um, like when you look at the, like 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 a guy like Correa looks freakishly huge at shortstop, and he's six four. Yep, Bobby Witt is six two and looks big. Right. This guy's this guy's six foot seven. He's had measurable seventy or eighty raw for like the last three years. He's only now just turned twenty three. When he was here in the fall league, and granted there were issues, uh, like it was random dumb kid stuff because that's he was twenty one or twenty two at the time. Maybe he had turned twenty two at that point. Like you know, he'd forget his jersey and have to wear one of the other pirates guys' jerseys. <laughs> And he would swing at everything, and then he'd lay into one, and you'd go, holy shit. Uh, you know, he'd plant his foot in the ground, and try. he'd have to rocket one over there, and he would. you just hear the ball sizzling through the air as he'd throw it from shortstop. He runs well enough that maybe he could play center field if he can't play short. Well, now, I mean, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about this the way teams talk about it, Eric. Teams talk a lot about probabilities, and, and, and you know, when you're talking about – Pitching prospects, be it you know, still these you know, guys in the top 100 or, or, or players in the draft, you talk about kind of starter reliever is like this guy's a 60% starter, you know, 40% reliever. What is your percentage of him staying at shortstop? I think it's I think it's like 50%. 
I would have said 40, so like we're close. But yeah, it's 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 it's, it's more than you think. But if you would have asked me three years ago, I would have said it's like 15%. Yeah, yeah. Like he just kind of keeps proving people wrong. And, and it's not – look, no one's going to say this guy's Andrews and Simmons, but he's like – he's all right there. If Paul DeYoung – if the fact that Seeger and Correa can can play there – Right. Like in, in Correa's case, it's because his arm – covers up a bunch of mobility stuff and so does your ability to shift and, and place him more precisely on the mm-hmm. infield. And so that stuff just applies to O'Neill Cruz too. Like his arm is just as good as Carlos Correa's and the mobility stuff that might pop up as he continues to fill out. It's an eight arm. It's an eight arm. Okay. Um, I had people again, like this was in the early days O'Neill Cruz had just been traded. I forget who the Dodgers traded him for. Um, but a scout who has the Pirates org top to bottom saw him for the first time and was like, why isn't this guy on the mound? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, of the guys on the list who have a chance to be an eight, he is undoubtedly one of the guys and is one of the players who, I don't know, when he was here in Fall League and some of the amateur scouts who have the four corners pick up pro coverage in the fall. He was 21 at that time, and they had just got done watching similarly aged players do fall workouts at ASU and you know BYU and San Diego State and stuff. And they're like, if this guy's in the draft, he's going 1-1. And it's not even close because the tools are so ridiculous for a 21-year-old. Mm-hmm. And he was stuffed on my solo list, I think, like a couple years ago. And then I got a better sense of what his approach was, and I repositioned him down, like in the extreme variance upside area, like in the seventy-five range, like where Zach Veen is now. Um, and I, I don't know, like this is just one of those guys who would explode in such a way that you'd look back and go, "Why weren't we just much higher on this guy?" Like I just look at Luis Robert and I was just like, why did I even bother? Like, why was this guy sixth or whatever, wherever he was and not two? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is because the approach piece of it seems to be what causes the guys to bust most often. And O'Neill is still kind of scary in this regard, uh, as was Lou Bob. Um, but, uh, but there's just a subset of guys who make it work anyway. And a lot of the time it has to do with them staying up the middle and, and in Luis Robert's case, like, being an incredible defensive center fielder in addition to getting to all that power. And just think that lots of those O'Neill Cruz has outs that are sixes and sevens, uh, even if it falls <laughs> short of the, the perfect world outcome. Right, right, right. Um, I want to talk about uh, Francisco Alvarez, but not in a vacuum in the sense that and I had a couple of questions about this in our chat. And, and it was something I didn't think about until it was pointed out by a reader. Um, but we have three catchers in the top 10. We have five in the top 22, and we have a seven in the top 40. Um, some of that comes because what we talked about with Rushman, just like even if he's just a good hitter, he's going to be a six-win player, and catchers create wins just by being good catchers. Um, but we're, we're at a nice age right now in terms of catching prospects. And, and, you know, for I think most of the last decade, I've, I've frequently said things like, you know, there are 30 catching, there are 30 catching jobs in baseball and not 30 everyday catchers um feels like that might change soon i don't know if that'll change because catchers get hurt right um and then it wouldn't surprise me if like 
one of Melendez and Campusano doesn't work out. Like or Henry Davis about, isn't a catcher. Henry Davis isn't a catcher, right. But yeah, Tess wrote a piece about this really good piece. class of catchers. Um, and we tend to juice catchers towards the back of the 100 because of what you talked about. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Corey Lee, Joey Bart, and even Dylan Dingler were like 20 or 30 grade hitters and still close to average everyday catchers. Well, that's it again. Like if Corey Lee hits 230 with 20 and is a solid defender with a seven arm, he's above Austin average. Hedges. He's above, yeah, above he's average everyday K. He's a better. He's, he's like, he's, he's what you'd hope Austin Hedges could be. Like he's better than that. Like he's an, he's an above average everyday catcher. If he does that, I think Corey Lee's going to hit like a buck 90, but uh, <laughs> still like, I think you're low. He, Corey Lee, the power, the athleticism, the arm strength, like it is a lot like Hedges. Um, so, but yeah, like the group in the top 10 is really exciting. Francisco Alvarez, I don't know what the future holds in terms of like his athletic longevity because he is. It's a, I mean, it, it is a, it's a tough physical look for a kid who just turned 20. Um, you know, he's like 510 I want to say like 230 um it's it's thick with two C's yeah uh Isak Paredes with the Tigers mm. is another example kind of like this where he's performing at a high high level for someone his age at the places to which he was assigned and then at some point I was just like I don't know this is scary athletically at this age for him to be built like this and it was a very very similar looking build um and then parade started to really plateau at the upper levels and at one point he just moved from like the 55s out of the 100 right even before that stuff had started happening just because i was like i don't know this kind of scares me francisco alvarez is much more explosive than that parades was just like a free canned eye coordination guy who wasn't really hitting for big power uh, even though it looks statistically as though he were, uh, but like Francisco Alvarez has real power. It's real power, and he has. Yeah. A, he also is a good hitter. Like that's the thing. Like it's it's a, it's an adjustable swing. It's not just he's not up there looking to torch balls. He's he's just using his strength. And this type of build is just there's actually some comfort in it. Just in uh, terms of main of, he's a catcher. with with withholding the physical strain of catching, right. which is yeah. one of the more underrated things I think in the public sense of baseball. It's if if you if you see an everyday catcher just taking the field by June or July, they're hurt. <laughs> like this period. And um, the the Austin Barnes, Garrett Stubbs mm-hmm. type guys, like it just doesn't. It hasn't worked. They can't right? catch every day. They just they just can't. Like I they they literally cannot. And just having mass to get in front of the ball, a big league slider finishing in the dirt. Like, you just have to put your body in front of it a lot of the time. And when your body is little, it's just so much harder to do that. Um, Let's have a a philosophical question about our number nine prospect, Josh Jung. Um, Really good timing. (laughs) Um, Like, like, you know, a week ago, I sent Eric Slack message just pointing out that, you know, he he hurt his shoulder. It's going to get examined. Excuse me. And, um, like, what should we do? And and I said, like, you know, we can't do anything because we don't know. We just don't know. Like, he's going to get examined. We don't know. Um, and the list comes out and, you know, like, I don't know, 
45 minutes go by. Right. 45 minutes go by after the list. And it turns out that Josh Young is going to need um, surgery on that shoulder and is going to miss um, the majority, if not all of the year. Um, knowing what you know, how far would you move him? I would just slide him right behind Corbin Carroll and CJ Abrams and leave him in the 60s. Okay. Corbin Carroll is coming off of a severe shoulder mm-hmm. injury in 2020 as well. CJ Abrams broke his leg, missed a bunch of the year, came back for a small window of instructs. It was so small that I didn't see him play at all in instructs. I saw him walking around in like uh, those $600 Kanye West shoes that look like uh, something from the second Back to the Future movie. Jesus. Um, and uh, Or Yeezys, I believe. Yeezys, yep. And but that was all I saw CJ Abrams do in the fall. And then he got hurt again during instructs. And so those are the other two guys who basically had lost years. We really believe that they have star level ability. Uh, so I think that young stacks behind them now, since both those guys are likely to be back healthy playing sooner than he is. Uh, and then if they look better or worse coming off the injury, then they might move, but they just exist towards the back of this tier of similarly talented players until we can see them and, and then reposition them. And so like young, he young strikes me as a candidate who's going to miss most of the year and either be back late in the summer or for fall league. Um, he'd probably just demolish fall league, especially if the pitching was anything like it was in 2021. Uh, and we can just decide where he belongs based on that. Like if there's something about his power that has disintegrated be coming off with the shoulder injury or whatever, then like we can move him then. But until then, I just think he should slide to the back of the sixties. Okay. I think that makes sense. Um, I want to talk about the player at number 19, Marcelo Meyer, in the sense that this was something I thought, thought about, like you said, every once in a while you take, you know, you kind of too focused. You have to step back and look at the whole list. Right. Um, Number 19 is Marcelo Meyer, and, and this is where I this is one of the things I was doing when, when I was stepping back, which is like looking at the 2021 draft picks, right? And so we have him number one. I, I'm comfortable with that. I thought he was the best player in the draft. Um, you know, and it gets it's pretty compressed from there. You know, Henry Davis is, is 22, Jack Letter is 24. Um, but how much do you think about that kind of stuff? Well, like when we're making this list, there were times where I would step back and go, okay, how we, how do, how, how do we have the 21 draft guys lined up? I think about that stuff pretty frequently. I think about it in, in terms of like Jordan Walker, Tristan Casas and Marco Luciano are stacked in front of Marcelo Meyer. Mm-hmm. Would we take any of those guys with the first pick in a draft over Marcelo? Like I think about it in those in those terms, right? Um, and then yeah, like there are there are times to move. Like if you saw Mike Trout in the AZL the summer after he was just picked in the back of the first round, hopefully you'd go, "This is fucking top ten guy!" Like right, right. away, just off of a, six weeks of him playing rookie ball. Yeah, no, I saw him play like two days in April in the Midwest League the next year, and it was like, "This is one of the best players I've ever seen in this league." Yeah, it so didn't take long. I don't. I mean, I'm not saying like Owen Casey is that guy or whatever, but I don't want to be too beholden to it because it is sometimes clear watching Max Muncie play on the same field as James Triantos, watching Benny Montgomery 
play on the same field as, you know, James Triantos <laughs> and Owen Casey, that like even though Benny Montgomery just went in the top ten and Triantos went in the second round, like it's clear which one I'd rather have, and I you know feel confidence in myself and the way that we source on this stuff to change some of that type stuff. Uh, you know, even though we only have a, a summer's worth of games after the data point that was the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at the very bottom of the 20s, 29 and 30 are two guys who I feel kind of made this slow and steady rise throughout the process. Um, and that's uh, Nick York, second baseman with the Red Sox, and Jeremy Pena, the shortstop with the Astros. I think these guys kind of started off, first of all, as 50s. Um and then kind of slowly rose amongst the fifties to the point where and, and we had this conversation like with so many players um, throughout this process. It, it, it's such a, it'd be fun just to kind of archive the Slack chats and, and maybe transcribe all of our phone conversations, even though it's never going to happen. And just think how many times we said, is this guy just a 50 or is this guy just a 55 as far as like moving their actual FV grades. Um, and we finally got to the end where it was like, are these guys just 55s? And we were like, yes, they are. Um, Nick York was a guy who, you know, as we we started in one spot and as we, you know, got to a point where we started talking to people, the whole world was just screaming at us that this guy's a 55. And I, I like the guy, uh, the person who said to me when in, in reference to Nick York, like, just said, like, look what he did. Like, what else do you want him to do? You know, <laughs> which is a great way to put it. Um The bat's really good. This kid can hit and there's there's more there's more. There's more pop and leverage there than I think people think, and and he's also like really transformed himself. You know, he's 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 uh, if you watch high school video of, of Nick York and you watch pro video of Nick York, um, the operation's the same, but he's he he looks like a professional baseball player before he looked like a high school kid. Right, just yeah, just in terms of the frame and the athleticism, like he isn't he's a, he, it's a it's a much better looking player. And that was part of the pre-draft concern these west coast bats who aren't very athletic but teams seem to have a high degree of confidence in their ability to hit uh, in part because the varsity pitching that they're facing on the average is much better than most other places in the country right. so filled, with, like, filled with kids who are going to go play college ball right um and so nick york was definitely in that bucket uh, Tyler Freeman with Cleveland was in that bucket. There are a number of Jake Bowers uh, is another good example of this. There are some uh, examples that haven't really worked out. There are a lot of Cleveland draftees who fit this demographic. Um, and so, yeah, like up the middle guys in which we are confident they will hit deserve to get juiced up the list. Um, the scout look at Nick York is more of a soft 50 because even at his age there's not like he has he's better athletically than he was as a high schooler we were all sitting around during the the pandemic right like so whatever there there are good reasons to believe that that is a real change Uh, but he's not very projectable like he's not a a big it's not a physical presence right right. for a 20 year old the cement on his body is pretty dry Mm. um but yeah like well-rounded hitter High confidence, going to play up the middle. Sure, belongs in this area. Uh, Jeremy Pena, it's... I I don't think Jeremy Pena is going to hit for as quite as much power as you do. I think that he will end up 
statistically looking more like JP Crawford on paper, which is still, you know, it's taking Crawford a little while. Um, I think he's going to pivot far more power than JP Crawford. But um, I think that, I don't think, I think it'll be more than Crawford. I don't think it'll be far more. Uh, I think, you know, Jeremy Payne is like a 400, 410 slug type guy uh, while playing plus defense at short. Is that still an above average shortstop? Yeah. yeah <laughs> like I, Miguel Rojas is just an average shortstop. Um, so, yeah, sign me up for 450 plus. Nick that, Lopez number. is another one where it's like not any power, but. Mm. And Nicky Lopez's feel for contact is better than Jeremy Pena's, but yeah, you don't much. have to hit for huge power if you're a great defensive shortstop. Um, I, I he, he's a weird player, and I kind of want to get into this a little bit. This was a guy who gets some wild, you know, another infielder who gets some wildly different opinions when you start throwing his name out there. And that's Aurelvis Martinez with the with the Toronto, who we have thirty second right now. Um. I feel like there are people who would have him in their top 20 and people who would have him not in the top 50. Huh. I, he's one where there was pretty consistent feedback that he belonged in this range. Uh, from doing, there was buzz around the deadline about Martinez and Moreno and like who Toronto internally maybe thought was the best of those two based on the tone of their trade discussions with other teams. Uh, and you started to learn a little bit about how highly other clubs thought of some of these guys uh, as they were engaging with Toronto as buyers for like the first time, really. Um, so Martinez, it's more likely to be third base. He has ridiculous power for his age. There are people who, like I specifically texted the following list of names to a bunch of sources to ask them to to prep them out for me. Line them up. Uh, let me get to that text. Orelvis Martinez, Jeremy Pena, Brian Rocchio, Jose Barrero, who actually graduated from the list but wanted to see what people thought. Again, shortstop with power and uh, plate discipline issues. And Ronnie Mauricio. Um, and, the, you know, there were people who said, uh, you know, give me Pena at the top of that group. There are people who thought that, like, Rokio should be at the top of that group just because he's the best. They think that he's the best defender of that group, even you know with Jeremy Pena. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are people who who said it's Orelvis Martinez, and then a gap, and then the other three guys. Um, but this is the one with of that group, except for maybe Jose Barrero, uh, who has just the most power and power potential. Uh, at number 44 is a player who fits into something we talked about earlier. Just the the risk here is insane, but so are the tools. And that's Met shortstop Ronnie Mauricio, who moved around a lot on this list um, be, because of the risk. And, and Ronnie Mauricio um, is the kind of is the guy who is going to grab your eye when he gets off the bus. You know, oh, yeah. six three, <laughs> ultra athletic. Um, he's going to grab yard. He takes BP. It's it's plus raw. Uh, he runs well. He can make some damn pretty plays at shortstop. He also swings at everything, and he also will follow up that uh, highlight play at shortstop that makes you go, "I can't believe you made that play," by booting the most routine of ground balls to him three minutes later. Um, 
like Ryan Mauricio in six years might be an all-star starting shortstop and he also might be a guy just kind of going up and down from between triple a and the majors in his fourth organization yeah i'm surprised by how well he has looked at times playing shortstop even though he has started to like really fill out um i was surprised in 2019 just based on the underlying data that I sourced from that time that like his high end exit velocities were not larger. And then in 2021, they took a pretty significant leap. Um, We watched him play a lot of defense in the Dominican winter league. He played quite a bit for Lise early in the season, especially. And given that he has mostly filled out, uh, he still looks really good there. So it's a switch hitting shortstop with power, but yeah. again, like if the approach is, is very scary. And he was the everyday shortstop for, for Lise and had a mixed year there, but like just being the everyday, this might sound crazy because, but like being an everyday shortstop in the, in the winter league at 20 is insane. Uh, yeah. Most, like Anderson Tejeda was on that roster and stuff like there. It's not like they don't have other dudes. Um, Another guy who moved around a lot uh, at 47 is Nick Prado with the Royals. Nick Prado, um, went from uh, suspect isn't enough, highly suspect to to prospect with a, an insanely great twenty twenty one season, um, a complete swing reengineering played a huge role in in what he did. Um, there's still a truckload of swing and miss in this guy. Like it is a power over hit, power 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 guy. But man, is he whack balls? Yeah. So we. Of the guys who were, this is the highest guy on the list who I don't know if he should even be on here. Mm, um, interesting. That's a great, that's a fun, that's a fun way to look at this. Okay. So 47 is your highest guy where you go, I don't even know if he should be here. Yeah. The, the, tracker, I think my, mine might, mine might be Mauricio, even though he might, <laughs> should be, you could argue he should be higher. I don't know. Well, yeah. Like obviously with Ronnie Mauricio, if I, if I just read you Freddie Galvis's yeah. stat lines, right? And I was like, it's a 300 OBP with 20 bombs and playing good shortstop defense. You'd be like, okay, yeah, that sounds like Ronnie Mauricio. And I'd be like, okay, well, that's a 45. Like, Freddie Gallows yep. just proves that it's a 45. Um, but back to Prado. Like, so Prado struck out almost 30% of the time. If I just look at first baseman from the last, it doesn't matter what your your boundary is in terms of time. I've looked at like the last six years. I've got it pulled up here. I'm going to read you the hitters who play first base who are striking out 25% of the time or more. Which is what Prado did in the minors against minor league pitching. Against minor league pitching. Prado struck out almost 30% of the time with this re-engineered swing, right? Mm -hmm. I'm reading you the first baseman in the big leagues who K 25% of the time or more. You tell me when when I get to someone who you would slam dunk on on 100. Yep. Dan Vogelbach, Luis Valbuena, Matt Adams, Lucas Duda. Pedro Alvarez, Luke Voigt, Will Myers, Mark Reynolds, Mike Napoli, Brandon Moss, Eric Thames, Sean Rodriguez, Chris Carter, Chris Davis, Miguel Sano. It just sounds like a list of players who at some point play every day and at some point um, are declined arbitration. Will Myers 
is the only double-digit war guy in this group. I'm looking since 2015 here, just at qualified hitters. Miguel Sano is the next closest, obviously has played a lot of third base. Miguel Sano, there's probably a different universe where Miguel Sano is just more motivated to like mm-hmm. stay athletic and he's good, uh, really good. Yeah, like an MVP candidate type good. Um, so, you know, the, the reason ultimately that I didn't scream and kick and like try to veto Nick Pato being on here (laughs) is because he made a huge adjustment, right? The fact that he and MJ Melendez both went from looking unplayably terrible in 2019 to being smack in the, in the middle of our top 100 indicates that this guy is capable of making pretty significant adjustments. So I, that makes me want to bet on him continuing to do so to the point where maybe this type of thing doesn't happen. But, you know, this is the track record for first base only types who, who whiff like this is not good. Right. And so I have apprehension around, around Prado. I think that's very fair. Um, speaking of apprehension, uh, you know, we talked about Nick York earlier. Nick York's one of those guys where um, you just have so much comfort in the bat that, uh, the 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 shape of his potential outcomes is is very high in the middle. Like this, it, it, he's gonna get to the big leagues. He's gonna be a big leaguer. But he, you know, there's a very because he's such a good hitter. There's a very small bust rate. But because of the things you talked about in terms of kind of the upside based on the physicality like that, his chances of being like some sort of mind blowing superstar are also quite low. But like you feel so good, that he's going to be able to you know get to the big leagues and contribute, right? Yeah. Yeah. Number 49 on this list is Khalil Watson, who has the opposite. He has a classic kind of reverse bell curve where he has a much higher chance of being an impact player than Nick York, but also a much higher chance of busting. This is a, a huge tools guy. I think there's a lot to be encouraged by what we saw in a very brief pro debut, as long as some comfort among scouts that, that there are actually some semblance of an approach there. Like we're not talking about Mauricio here. Um but, you know, it's it's big, big tools and a lot of questions about his ability to actualize them. Yeah. Um, he was one where you could argue he just belongs in the 55s with some of those other high-variance shortstops that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one on this list where it would not surprise me if in a year he is just where Noel B. Marte is on the list. So, you know, he's super exciting. He's a reason to just to go to West Palm uh, <laughs> and, like, see baseball there on his own. I you know, Worth price of admission if you get to see Khalil Watson, like, go check it out. He's a lot of fun. If you're a big fan of the let the, let the kids play kind of players, this is this is your guy. Um, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence in bravado is what I wrote. And, and he's, he's a lot of fun. He'll, he'll he's, he strolls up there. He knows he's good. He has a good time playing. Um, he's, I, I, I like him. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to talk about Nick Lodolo, who's at 51. Um, and the way I, I wrote his write up, and I wrote like if, you know, he didn't have the injury last year and he did what he did for more than 51 innings, he would rank higher. Um, he's such a weird player in the sense of he's a weird player kind of in the current she's a video game term in the current meta uh, of pitching which is very like high arm angle vertical fastballs rising you know vertical break 
rising fastballs, hop, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and you know, these North South guys is what, is what teams are looking for. Um, these guys with the rising fastball and the downer curve, right. And, and changing vertical eye angles. He is an East West guy, and he, but he's the ultimate East West guy. Um, it's two scenes to mid nineties. It has sink and just, it's a sinker. Like he threw it's a lower, it's a low three quarters arm angle. It's a sinker, but it also is insane horizontal run on the fastball. And then the same thing can be said for his breaking ball, which then runs horizontally the other way at an extreme level. Um, and then his changeup has crazy run, but also drops off the table. And so this is like this crazy east west combination that I, I think is east west. I don't know if you want to call it differentials. Like, I don't know if anyone yeah, baseball yeah. matches them. Like, it's, it's just, it's a really weird look. And I wonder if just in today's baseball, his uniqueness will help him in the sense that batters are geared up for 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 north south guys. Yeah, Lodolo was so I'm going to push back on the north south thing a little bit. I think that that is starting to shift. I think that I think it is too. I think we, I think teams have have, done, have have figured some stuff out beyond that that also works. Right. So, and I. Over didn't necessarily overvalue these guys, but at one point I was hyper focused on identifying guys like like this, um, like Zach Gallen, mm-hmm. right? Like cut and carry, and a breaking ball with vertical action that plays off of that. Um, watching Kyle Harrison, who's got like a lower arm slot. Uh, and some of the other like low three quarters types over the last few years has made me more sensitive to the importance of the angle piece of this. So you can have a, a fastball that has lateral movement, but if the angle of approach is so shallow, you still have utility with that pitch, like swing and miss utility at the letters. Um, so you have these guys like Harrison and like Lodolo who have four-seam, two-seam variants. You'll see them run the four-seamer up the ladder as a chase pitch and work east-west with the two-seamer at the, at the knees to try to you know get looking strikes, get ahead in the count, and do sweet contact, all that stuff. And I think that the guys with the lower slots then have better change-up projection because the shape of that change-up mimics the shape of the two-seam variant of the fastball. And so with Lodolo, he was divisive early on during the process because mm-hmm. you mentioned how much action his changeup has on it. He's only thrown it 8% of the time. So to me, that's not an indication that Nick Lodolo thinks that he has a plus changeup. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But the pitch data folks we were talking to were you know unanimous. Like, this guy's got three plus pitches. He technically has four because there's clearly four seam, two seam here. Mm-hmm. Do righties get a long enough look at what is going on because of his slot that he's going to have more meaningful platoon splits than we anticipate? And that is either going to suppress what he is or maybe even push him to the bullpen. I think that there are there are people who think that that's the case. Um, I think that that's feasible. Um, but... You know, someone comped the movement of Nicoladolo's uh, breaking ball to that of Julio Arias. So, 
you know, that's that's a, a breaking ball that has like all kinds of utility. Like he can, you know, want to land it in the zone for a strike. Fine, it's got enough depth that guys can't hit it even when it's in the zone. You want to bury it to your glove side for a swing and miss against lefties. Great, like. So he can do all that stuff, um, which is better than in college when he could really just land it in the zone. So, yeah, you know, Lodolo to me is in that, you know, fourth starter. Uh, maybe there's a little bit more. I think there might be lower more. floor there than I think people are anticipating. And but yeah, the the pitch data people think that we are low on this guy. Yeah, I I really like this stuff, and and it's interesting just in the sense we talked about the north south guys, and that was kind of the early meta of the pitch data world and you know the the 10 year ago but over the last four or five years um, there's been a real kind of conversion not even a conversion but maybe an acceptance and and a reevaluation of sliders in the sense that like people have said oh wait a second guys who can really sweep a slider that's an effective pitch too Um, and can be just as effective as a hard downer and if everyone is learning about the vertical movement piece of this and pursuing those players. Think about when you were with Houston. At some point, the guys you were drafting late on day two were just going. Oh, I remember. Before. Oh, yeah. No, I remember. The, it was 2016. And all of a sudden, like all these players we identified started going off the board way earlier than we expected. And it just like there was just it was honestly like this kind of, oh, shit, they're on to us. Yep. You know? Yeah. And so now it's, you know. There are other avenues, but maybe I'll try to get video of him up. But like Brandon Salucci in the Red Sox system is a guy who, when I saw his stuff on paper and like saw the spin axis of his fastball, I was all about it. And he performed in the lower minors. And then I watched him here in fall league. And because his arm angle is so high, the approach angle of his fastball is extremely downhill and it was just getting crushed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though it has that backspinning vertical axis and his breaking ball mirrors that shape, uh, it, it doesn't work. And so, yeah, the, the approach angle piece of it is also very important. Um, I, we would be remiss not to spend some time with our number 57 prospect, because I think he was a guy who elicited the most surprises. Um, he is a fifth round pick. He's five foot nine. Um, not a lot of prospect hype entering the year, um, but he's now a guy with a, a firmly in the middle of the fifties here, and 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 easily on the top one hundred. And that's Stephen Kwan. Um, Stephen Kwan makes an insane amount of contact, has a good approach. He added some power to his game in twenty twenty one. Not that he's a power hitter, but he he started impacting baseballs more, and that really matters. Um, and just every every underlying metric screams this dude can really hit. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited about Stephen Kwan. Um, you just go look at Miles Straw and what his 2021 season was like in terms of WAR output, and kind of get an idea of what uh, Stephen Kwan's might be. Brett Gardner is another good example. I think I might have comped him to Gardner in the in the write up, but um, the power part of it, I don't know. Certainly, he's not going to slug five sixty or whatever. No, not at all. I'm just saying he's already impact baseball more. So he was a very low power guy, and now he's a guy who I, you know, I'd say he has sneaky pop. Right, and this is where the the 
Fangraph's video back catalog comes in handy because I could just go back to watch Quan at Oregon State on video and then watch the video I shot from the little bit of instructs and just see there's been a few small changes to the swing. So maybe you buy into the fact there's been a power uptick. Um, but the thing here is the the contact ability, right? Like 2.5% swinging strike rate in the minors in 2021. Say that number um, again. 2.5%. 2.5%. Is there anybody That's whack. That's, in the big leagues who even no. did that? Like, does Michael I, Brantley even do that? Does Madrigal do that? I don't know if any – I don't think anyone does that. We'd look it up, but no. I, that's an insane number. So – his instincts in center field are good enough that I think he can not only play out there, but be pretty good. So uh, he's the only guy who I think we have an 80 on the bat, not just on the hundred, but like in the entire minors. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, there are times when I feel as though we've overcorrected on guys like this. Mm-hmm. They are all over Cleveland's system. Jose Tena, Tyler Freeman, Jose Fermin, uh, lots of guys with extremely low swinging strike rates who just find a way to put the bat on the ball, don't make a lot of loud, huge contact, um, and they turn into pretty good players. And so, yeah, and and, and again, like the, this guy in college hit um, three home runs in 156 games at Oregon State with metal bats, um, and hit 12 last year in 77 games. Um, and, and again, no one's saying he's a power hitter. He's just like he has added some strength to his game, and you have to hit balls hard to uh, play Major League Baseball well. Um, what is, and he does enough of it. What is like. What is Jose Altuve's raw power? Do you really want me to answer the kid's sick? It's 60. Is it really, though? It is. No, it, it really is. It really, it really is. It's terrifying. Yeah. Is it 60? Yes. All right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've, as somebody who's seen 100 PPs, yeah, it's it's 60. No question. So I guess the, the question I'm actually getting at is when we're doing the tool grades and we're thinking about the power production that someone like this is going to have, how much do you round up the game power projection above the raw power piece of it? Because I bet if we watch Stephen Quantic BP that he, he has like 30 raw power. Right, he's got 40 game power. Okay. Uh, because it is always like... But that's up from 2030. Sure. Using just because the, the, the ability to square a baseball. Right. He's going... He's so hard to make swing and miss. Right. He's, he's just going to hit for like 40 power. Right. Stephen Kwan is not going to hit moonshots. Ever. But, but he's going to ambush... He's going to hit some lasers. Fastballs. Right, yeah. he's going to hit some lasers. He's, yeah, it's a big difference. Um, he's fascinating. Um, definitely a guy to, to watch. Um, obviously at some point we just have to lock it in and publish the list. Right. And when I look at the list right now, the one guy I'm worried I have that we have too low, um, is Max Meyer. Um, who we have at 58 and who is on the verge of the big leagues. Um, throws in the mid to upper 90s and might have the best slider in minor league baseball. Um, I just worry that this guy might be way better than we think. I think that's feasible. He was in the 55s at the at some point in 2021, maybe even at the end. One of the things that we did as we were doing the list is we know what orgs have an outsized 
chunk of representation on the hundred, like as we start to do it, Cleveland, Miami, the Dodgers, um, we source on those orgs, the top of their lists more pointedly to say, like, I will send people a list of names that are only Marlins and ask them to line them up. Yuri Perez and Meyer and Khalil and stuff. Mm -hmm. People generally put, um, Khalil Watson at the top of the, at the top of the list. And so maybe Meyer moved down like artificially in this way because we didn't feel comfortable putting Watson in the 55s right away mm. um, and still had feedback that people thought he was the best guy in the system. There are things about Max Meyer's fastball shape uh, that are suboptimal, but it diverges. Yeah. The movement diverges from that slider in a way that I do think is meaningful. He's a, He's smaller. I don't really care about that. He's a plus-plus athlete. Um, the smallness piece of it is arguably a good thing in terms of the approach angle aspect. Uh, and it's just about change-up development, which, again, like the arm action and his athleticism are both great. So you want to go nuts projecting on his change-up? Fine, do it. You know, the Marlins have developed good change-ups, Pablo Lopez, etc. cetera. So, um, yeah, I think that that might be right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, the guy right after on the list is your highest variance player on the wrist uh, on the list. Uh, number 59, Ellie De La Cruz shortstop Cincinnati Reds. Um, this was a bit of a pop-up guy. This, this guy is, um, six foot five, he's 200 pounds. He's, it's above, well above average run. It's above average raw. It is you know, absolute missile of an arm, like tooled out. Like this guy, you know, has literal 30, 30 potential. Um, but the risk is all over the place. And, and, and it goes back to something we got into very early, which is when we're wrong about guys. Um, so often it is an approach piece and he has an approach issue. The tools are, top 10 worthy oh yeah um you know easy not even not undebatable top 10 worthy um there's just a lot of risk about what he's going to be yeah i watched i watched de La cruz get benched during instructs for swinging too much <laughs> <laughs> like he hit an, he he had swung it like the first pitch in his first two ab's one day i think i'm getting all the details of this right one of them was definitely an oppo double off the face of the wall. It might have been his second AB and like they benched him after that. <laughs> um, yeah, like this guy was not a high profile signing. No. He just exploded during extended I tried to hide him until our midseason update and they they pushed him to Daytona or whatever and then other people started to see him. Um yeah, it's I've I got I've gotten seven run times on this guy. I've seen him hit opposite field home runs from both sides of the plate. I've seen him hit the fucking batter's eye. This guy's got some yeah, and he's got some huge exit yeah. to back it up. Uh the the Reds instructs group in general had a bunch of Big, strong-looking young guys. Um, and mm -hmm. Ellie is the one who, it's again, it's arm strength-driven, has a chance to stay at short. Probably not stay in there. Um, 
But that's what we said about O'Neill Cruz at the same age. So it is tracking reminiscent of Cruz's early career. And so, yeah, this is just where this guy belongs. There's incredible upside, and it wouldn't surprise me if at the end of next year he'd walked 3% of the time at high A and hit 220, and we were just like, well, let's just 45-plus this guy until he shows that he can make an adjustment. Um, At 61 is uh, KG Personal Cheese Ball, Brian Williamson. Um, That 2019-18 TCU team, 18 or 19? Yeah, it was 18 with him and Lodolo. So I I spent a weekend with that team. That team had nine draft picks on them on it. Can we name them? Lodolo, I, I Williamson. They had a first uh, baseman named Jake Gunther who like went in the fourth or fifth round. They had my favorite senior in, in, in that class in, in Johnny Riser. Who's with Baltimore. Who's with Baltimore. Gunther's with Texas. He was drafted by the Rays and then traded. He's yeah, he like an re- interesting upper-level performer, too. Yeah, he hasn't really hit that enough. Was Luke and Baker on that team? Luke and Baker was gone by, by then. Uh, what they about had, the, the reliever had, with Boston? Had, I was going to say they had another arm. Um, but it was a really good team. And, like, you'd go to see – I didn't I, – I only spent Saturday and Sunday with them because it was it – was, that like it was like well you know, don't see something else on Friday because Ladilla is not getting to us. I actually spent Friday. Um, I went back and forth between Rice and University of Houston and saw like Cantorino and then the guy at Tulane who was hitting bombs and then um, and then drove Hosey. to Dallas for the weekend. Yes, Hosey, and then went to TC for the weekend. But um, Williamson at the time was like a, kind of a pop up guy. Um, he's from the North. I think he's from Minnesota. He was at an Iowa JUCO, I believe. Right, and he, he transferred from an Iowa JUCO. Um, and was at TCU, and all of a sudden there's like, hey, we got to go see this dude. I suppose like there's this lefty touching 98. Um, and I went and saw him. He touched 98, and uh, but he also has really intriguing pitch data. So he's 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 uh, it's this is back. It's old school fastball like stuff. It's 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 high arm angle, backspin city, very vertical. Um, and. Uh, he would not maintain his stuff very well in college. And it was interesting to see what he did this year. We kind of ratcheted it down uh, intentionally. And so he was, just kind of went 92, 94, sat 96. We do it all, all night um, for, for five innings, which is great. It's what you want. And uh, really good breaking ball, really good changeups. This guy's got three, three plus pitches. I think he's, and I wrote this, he's the kind of guy who's going to be a really good starter that you still need nine or 12 outs from your bullpen. Um, but I, I think this guy's got a 55% chance to remain a starter, um, which is one of the reasons I really like him. He's a big dude, too. He's you know, 6'6". Um, this is one of my kind of – I'm glad he's on the list. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy he's there, and I think it's going to be justified. Yeah, I, I think I am, too, uh, late in the process. I saw Williamson with that, that TCU team as well. It was like the MLB4, maybe the inaugural year, Lodolo. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Williamson, I think that might have been – Rockers first weekend. Mm. Uh, it was an amazing weekend of baseball, I'll tell you that. Uh, and yeah, Williamson came out really hot early innings, and then the the velo really ticked down into like the 89, 91 area later in his outing. Um, and so, you know, there was relief risk there. Yeah, and everyone liked him. He went in the second round. Right, yeah. he's. I agree with you. Like, this is exciting. He belongs in this area around Luis Medina and these other guys who we think – are very probably late inning relievers. This is just where we value guys like this. Mm-hmm. Um, we should talk about the Mets guys who are back to back. Two 22 year old Mets third baseman. 
Um, Brett Beatty, 63. Mark Vientos, 64. Um, kind of went back and forth. If you gave, honestly, if I was, you know, with somebody and trading with the Mets and they said, hey, you can have Vientos or Beatty, I'd take Vientos. And I know that puts me in the minority, but I, I, I this guy got off to a, you know, he had a rough 2019. That was in some way luck driven. Um, his, his year was actually better than kind of the, the slash line looked. Um, and then and he, he had a hundred after that year. Yeah. And he had a really, he had a really rough first month in, in double A in 2021. And after that slugged well over 600. Um, I think this guy's power actually might be a little underrated. Um, and I, I think, you know, Beatty is the better hitter and Vientos is the guy with more power. Um, but I don't think Vientos is a bad hitter per se. I think that's fair. I think Vientos is much more likely to not be a third baseman long term. Yeah, see, I don't think Beatty's a third baseman either. So it, it, that maybe that, that plays into my role there. The Fall League look at Beatty at third base, and I write it in the in the Beatty blurb, like mm-hmm. it's it was much better than I expected when he was in high school. He's trimmer than when he was in high school. Oh, high school was like a no was like a zero percent no third way. base. It was a zero percent third base. Yeah. These guys were very contrasting amateur prospects because Vientos was like barely 17 and Beatty was like 19 and a half. Right. Um, Beatty's swing gave me pause when I was watching him for six weeks in the fall league. I was all in after futures game. And you know, there's one, I don't know if a younger version of me probably entrenches myself in, in Brett Beatty, but uh, there are real concerns I think with whether or not he's going to be able to deal with those running, riding, mm. fastballs out away from him in the big leagues. There's just a lot of guys who, and J.J. Blade is like this too. Like, I didn't care that he crushed the fall league. His swing scares me. Um, so, Beatty, I, we repositioned, but there is still field to hit and real raw power there. It's just about him getting to it in games. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Vientos. Vientos, we moved off of too quickly. That's a good example. Like, because of the rough month, he, yeah. Because of his rough month. Yeah, his... I. The power from 2019 that I have, at least the underlying, like, expected power output based on the quality of his contact was close to, like, a 500 slug. And he was slugging something close to, like, 420 or 430 at that time. And so he was he was on the 100 uh, for a while, and then we just moved off of him a little too quickly, and here he is again. I saw Vientos in high school. Um, in one of the more fun high school experiences I ever had, it was um, he was at American Heritage, right, um, which had Tristan Casas um, and Enrique Bradfield was a freshman who had already committed to Vanderbilt at the time. Um, and I saw them play against uh, Archbishop McCarthy, who had Joe Perez, who the Astros ultimately drafted, right, um, which is another incredible program. Um, Nick Castellanos uh, came from there. And um, the, the quality of baseball down there in, in that Miami area – is insane um it, it's socal level in my mind and it just it, it always strikes me i was at this game i was sitting with a guy who just knows the florida the south florida high school team scene in and out like he's a recruiter and he knows all of these players and it's just like you think about like i you know i grew up in the midwest i still live in the midwest and i think about high school baseball in the midwest where you might you're lucky to even run into like a superstar who's going to play at the next level, right? And, that, and by the next level, I mean college. Like most kids aren't even going to go to play college ball. And like when you're in South Florida, and it's, these are like two of the best programs literally in the country. It's Archbishop and, and American Heritage. And it's a huge crowd. It's a big rivalry game. It's a really good game. It's close. And like in the fifth inning, 
American Heritage goes to the pen. And here comes this little 5'10 kid. He starts warming up. Like, oh, he can spin a little bit. He's kind of fun. And the guy sitting next to me, this recruiter who knows every one of these players back and forth, goes, yeah, this is like their setup guy, like their middle reliever setup guy. He's got a full ride to Richmond. Like it's like it's a high school reliever who doesn't close, and he's got a full ride to a yep. four-year school. That's the quality that you see out of these kids. But you, you know, Ventos was really attractive because of you know, he was going to be a seventeen-year-old draft, and and we you know we've talked already at that length about how much age plays into a lot of the models that teams use. But I think it also gives me some comfort in the sense that even with um, the shitty twenty twenty lost season, he's still been young for his level and 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 really performed. Um, yeah, I, again, like the track record of swing and miss guys who play a projected first base is not good, but there's just a ton of power. So I'm in as well. I think this is where we have him. I think is fine. Mm -hmm. Today, our picks to click are up and, uh, number 70 on this list was one of our picks to click entering the year. And that was, um, Shay Langoliers who did not have a good year, uh, you know, in his like 2019 kind of debut, debut looked a little overwhelmed at times by by a ball pitching but um such a good defensive catcher and there's like there's at least raw here and it's you know it's a it's a 40 bat i think we all think that but um what he showed in double a this year was the, his ability to tap into the power despite being a non-especially instinctual hitter it's a, i think i wrote it's a brute force act at the plate um you know it's a pretty patient ap- approach and he's hoping to drive a ball um but potential gold glove defender with, you know, 18 to 20 home runs, pretty good player. Yep. You could argue he just belongs in the 55s for the same reason that some of the other guys mm-hmm. who play shortstop do. Um, number 73, Jason Dominguez. Uh, <laughs> Jason Dominguez, if you wanted to say he should be number 23, I'd go, yeah, maybe. And if you want to say he shouldn't be on the list, I'd say, yeah, maybe. Um uh, I know he did not live up to expectations. No mortal human could have. Um, but he also, I don't even think, lived up to realistic expectations either um, in terms of his performance. Um, there was, it looked did look better toward the end of the year. There's concerns about the direction the body's going. Um, it's better now, though. It is. And I, I guess I would say what I just said, I would say that about a predictive, in a predictive way, um, about next year, where if next year he was number 18 on the list, I don't think I'd be shocked. And if he wasn't on the list, I don't think I'd be shocked. Yep, I think that's fair. Uh, <clears throat> he's in Zion Williamson territory where... So all I know is Zion Williamson is a, oh a very large number one pick in the NBA draft. If I... I cannot wait. Oh, maybe should I slack you video of Zion Williamson playing high school basketball right now to just hear your reaction? Um but, like, Zion Williamson and Jason Dominguez is, is this, too. Like, at one point, when you looked at how big and strong and muscular they were at the age that they are, you were like, well, I've never seen anything quite like this, and I don't know if it's good or not. And then when you started to hear and see the video of how big Dominguez had gotten in the Dominican during the pandemic... I had Kevin Maiton flashbacks mm. because Maiton also got very, very big, very, very quickly, although it was a different type of big. Yeah, he got very uh, fleshy. Right. And whereas Dominguez had gotten so big from like being in the weight room all the time. Like a bodybuilder. 
Uh, so, yeah, he was like, it looked like Tyler O'Neill, but a 17-year-old. Um, so, you know, they pushed him pretty aggressively. He was a teenager in full season ball. He was a teenager in a full season league that had a weird automated strike zone that has like indeterminate effect on everybody's performance. He didn't look exceptional in a vacuum at like the futures game or anything like that. He looked exceptional for someone who was 18 at the time just having like average raw power as mm-hmm. a switch hitting center fielder at age 18 is is really great. Yeah. Do you ascribe to the philosophy that if a player is elite, I mean like Buster Posey, Mike Trout, Ronald Acuña elite, that they will just be elite all the time, that there is no adjustment period that doesn't exist for someone like that, that they just are awesome all the time in an uninterrupted way? For the most part, yes, um, but not there are always there are always exceptions, but for the most part, yes. So then, I think Jason Dominguez's twenty twenty one is an indication, and I I tend to believe it's true as well. I think his twenty twenty one is an indication that he is not Trout, that he is not a player quite on that level. But I don't think it means that he's not going to be a very good player. I just think that he's not Juan Soto. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's fair. Um, and I, I, it's, it's one of those guys where I just feel like, you know, I, I'm happy to give him a bit of a mulligan because of the pandemic and, and, you know, all the delays to how long it took him from signing to playing in games. I just feel like we're so up in the air. Like we will know a lot more about Jason Dominguez a year from now. I think he'll still just be in a, a year from now we will be asking ourselves where, what would we think of this guy if he were at? Virginia Tech mm-hmm. and trying to line them up based on that. And I still think it'll just be in this area. Um, another high ceiling guy in terms of, but he's different because he's not like 18 years old. He's, he's 24, um, 77 on this list is Greg Jones, the former first round pick of the Rays, who I think when you, people still, I, for the most part, I still think want to see him move to center field. Like, it's not like he doesn't have the tools to play shortstop. I'm just not sure he's the hands to play shortstop. It's so unrazy that they haven't tried it yet. It's really surprising. Um, it's almost like a stubbornness here. Um, but he's a lot of fun. There's swing and miss in there, but like, it's pretty close to an eight run and it's like really big bat speed and, and, and power. Like he's, I, he's very exciting. I just think he might end up being frustrating. There's a pretty good UNC Wilmington team that Jones mm-hmm. was on. He was like a late breaking old for the class high school prospect in North Carolina. He was too raw for a 19 year old on draft day for anybody to do it. Then he went to Wilmington. Ryan Jeffers was there too. Um, and he was really good. Uh, they came to ASU at one point and there was a lot of heat in there, mostly to see Jones and, and Ryan Jeffers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, his timeline for how he's 23. He's still very raw for a 23 year old. He doesn't have to be put on the 40 until after 2022. He's probably the player who is on this list who is least likely to be added to the 40 man. Mm. The first time he's rule five eligible. Um, Maybe if that occurs, we will move off him a little bit, but just because like the rays have 
Josh Lowe. They have Cameron Meissner, who's also 40-man eligible or, you know, Rule 5 eligible next offseason. Like, there's a crowded, up-the-middle group here. And so if he goes out and strikes out 33% of the time again, like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't roster him. But uh, if he does okay, then even though he's raw, like spending his first option year down at double-A, triple-A, learning a different position or a second position rather, like that seems okay. That seems on track to still deserve being here. And like you said, the tools are great. They're great. Um, at number 80 on the list is, so uh, just a little how the sausage is made. There's a, a very large spreadsheet that is continually being futzed with by the three of us. And it's filled with, with real information and all sorts of notes and marks and checks and all sorts of things. And really up until Tuesday, there was one row in the spreadsheet that was bright red. And it was just kind of the, what the hell do we do with this guy? And ultimately, he's number 80. It's Sixto Sanchez, who, um, as I wrote, probably sounds like Dante from Clerk saying, I'm not even supposed to be here today uh, because he wasn't. He was supposed to spend the entire year in the Marlins rotation and, and lose his prospect status. Um, then he had shoulder problems. He had shoulder surgery. It was not labrum surgery. It was, it was a capsule repair, um, which is, which is you know, really just a six, seven month thing. He was... Uh, we don't know because of the lockout, but if there was no lockout, you know, he was, uh, on pace to be throwing in camp, right. And be, and be, and be ready to start working. Um, but like, I, I, you know, we felt this way before the injury, just in the sense that Sixto Sanchez is a guy who, um, is going to be much more popular with the, uh, Twitter single pitch gift crowd than major league baseball. Um, because he does, I, we all know he throws crazy hard. It's upper 90s, touch 100 all day long. Um, it's also you know, the worst possible shape. Like it's just, it, it's a dead 130, not a lot of vertical to it. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's kind of in the, in the worst possible spot in terms of fastball shape. So it really needs the velocity. Um, he does have good secondary pitches, but this feels like more of a guy who, like, people always will wrongly wonder why he's not better when he kind of pitches like a 3 4 starter. Yep, I think that's fair. The I mean, you were one of the sources who was s- s- talking about this when Sixto was just you know a sixty on my individual list. Or Kylie and I were doing this together. Like we had Sixto in the top ten or fifteen. Um, and yeah, there once I started paying attention to like the swinging strike rates, it was shocking that Sixto wasn't higher. Um, then he, you know, he put on a bunch of weight. He started to have issues with his shoulder and neck and upper back. Like, you started to hear a lot of random stuff. Like, oh, the, you know, they're slowing down his progress from spring. Like, it became consistent that he was having issues in that area. Uh, so, it doesn't surprise me that he ended up having a shoulder issue that required surgery. Um and yeah, there, he the group of the guys who we just sort of took off because we like to try to apples to apples guys, mm. and they were just like Royce Lewis, Sixto Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, Yoan Duran, guys who were just bizarre or injured for some extended period of time, and we just had to remove from our process until the end when we just sort of gut feel put them where we thought they belonged, and this is where we end up having Sixto. Yeah, another guy who drops because of pitch data stuff is Quinn Priester, who's on the list at 102. But another guy with, uh, yeah, he doesn't throw nearly as hard as Cisco, but he has a very similarly shaped fastball. Um, it's just not in a good spot at all. 
and worse angle than Sixto, who is like a smaller, compact guy. Mm-hmm. Priester's got that big 6'4", strapping A.J. Burnett-type frame. Uh, his breaking ball is every bit as good as A.J. Burnett's. It just doesn't – it's easy to identify out of his hand because the fastball shape does not support it, basically. So um, – I had my come to Jesus moment with Quinn Priester during our process. Like scouts love him. He's giant and has this new hard slider cutter thing. Um, I thought there was a chance when I saw him. And if he can get the cutter to work, I think it'll help mitigate the fastball issue. But if he's throwing such a high rate of secondary pitches because the fastball issue exists, it's going to be hard for him to like eat innings, even though he is the size he is. And, I don't know. I'm getting Aaron Sanchez deja vu from Quinn Priester now. Mm, interesting. Um, boy, yeah, Aaron Sanchez flashbacks. I got a lot of them. Um, I watched Aaron Sanchez break bats with his changeup. <laughs> um, so we did release today, uh, this morning, our, our picks to click. Um, we did okay. We did in the range you expect. Uh, you know, these are our picks to like be on the top 100 next year, and and with the variability of prospects, we generally hit in the 25 to 30 percent range. Um, we agreed on on Drew Roma, who maybe maybe we should have put on the top 100. No, those guys were like, maybe we maybe just should have put him there. Um, the catcher with the Rockies, who who uh, is pretty impressive. But um, let's talk about deep cuts, and and um, I, I think it would be fair. We should talk about. Peter Crow Armstrong, who who has kind of revamped his swing with the Cubs, and 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 they're very very excited about what he has. But um, I, I try to when we do these things, um, take some chances, if you will, and really kind of like go 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 deep. Like who's your your deep cut? Like a guy who you probably shouldn't be on your picks to click, um, and, and probably has the least chance to be a top hundred, but just for whatever reason, you you're kind of intrigued by him. Marco Raya with the Twins, really athletic, mm, young one. pitcher, great breaking ball snap. He hasn't thrown an inning of professional baseball at an affiliate yet, uh, but has been in the mid-90s just in bullpens. Uh, yeah, like I think he's got a, a chance to really blow up in 2022 because of the arm strength, the breaking ball, all the other components that you look for in a guy who's not very big, but still projects as a starter because of all the athleticism. Uh, The twins are very good at developing pitching. And he was probably the one with like the, the furthest away, the lowest probability to, to get there. And then there were a, a bunch of Dodgers guys who I didn't end up putting on here. There's a guy who is probably a reliever named Emmett Sheehan, uh, he's got a ridiculous change up and his numbers were great after uh, the Dodgers drafted him. He didn't make it for me. And then Ronnie Enriquez, who's a pitcher on the complex with the Dodgers who generated a lot of interest ahead of the trade deadline, just like 6'4", 225, mm-hmm. workhorse build, 94, 97, plus slider. Uh, pitch execution start to start is pretty inconsistent, but it wouldn't surprise me if, again, like the Dodgers player dev machine is just unbelievable. So, you know, if Ronnie Henriquez is on everybody's top 100 next next year, it wouldn't surprise me. But uh, I just couldn't load up this list with Cleveland and L.A. guys. <laughs> just, yeah, they're good at what they do. Was that factoring into who you throw on your picks to click? No, not at all. Um, I, uh, not really. Um, 
I guess I did take some, I mean, I took Peyton Battenfield, who just, you know, is such an interesting guy who, you know, is just like a middle reliever in college. He just had fantastic pitch data. Um, and, and the Astros drafted him off of his pitch data. And, and, you know, I guess, we, you know, the Astros knew they were right about his pitch data when the Rays asked for him. And now he's a guardian. And, and it's just a guy who's like kind of, Jumped from pitch data team to pitch data team to pitch data team. Uh, my deep cut here is, is Harlan Susana. Have you seen this kid? No, he hasn't been here yet. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's gotten off the island yet. He was, um, or maybe you know, he it, is here working out at their camp. But I he might, he might be. Um, so you know, uh, international prospect world is defined uh, for the most part at the top of the scale by position players. Um, you know, and the industry has really started to lean heavily on on their their big checks go to position players. Um, this was the big check pitcher in this year's international class. The Padres signed him. He is uh, jaw droppingly enormous. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's like six seven two forty, um, and it's just this huge kid. And it's not a bad two forty. It's no, he's yeah, no, it's he, he, yeah, no, he looks like a pro wrestler if anything. Um, he's like 95 98 right now with a mid 80 slider that he can spin um there's still eons to go in terms of turning this guy into a pitcher it's an absolute thrower right now but like just the the just the starting point of a 17 year old like that has me so intrigued that i threw him on the list yep totally fair i have been burnt by putting the recent international guys on the picks to click in the past, even guys who I still like, like Wilman Diaz of the Dodgers. and Yeah, and no, I had Eric Pena last year, yeah. Right, yeah, you had Pena and Poisson and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, even even the good ones, it's just so hard to, to do it right away. Diaz was in the DSL and then came here for instructs and looked fine. Um, not enough, like, he'll just be in the same place on the Dodgers as he was last year probably, but it just wasn't enough to justify sticking him on the 100. It's so hard especially for pitchers. Uh, but San Diego does like to push these guys. Mm-hmm. They did it with Patino. And so mm-hmm. the proximity piece that factors into how I think about pitchers is maybe maybe they are, will be more willing to, to push a guy like this and see what they have in a way that makes us confident to put him on 100 next year. Right. Uh, yeah, and then I we had dueling, dueling guardians in our late-inning relief category where you took Battenfield and I t- took Nick Michalogic, whose fastball also has monstrous carry like Battenfield's and it's just a couple miles an hour harder. His pitch mix isn't as developed as Battenfield's. Uh, he's more fastball slider. He does have two other pitches, but he just doesn't use them as much as Battenfield, who, who mixes his stuff in pretty evenly and has a better chance to to start probably, but, but yeah, the, the group with Cleveland, and I put two of the pitchability type guys, Xavion Curry and Logan Allen, on there as well. So, I, I really liked. I got like my fourth wind when I watched you and Tess start to put your pick to click names in the spreadsheet. <laughs> it made me really like Tess put Mason Win in there, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is going to be so much fun to do picks to click." And then I spent the next like fourteen hours working on it. <laughs> I was. I, I. It's funny because yeah, we started putting our stuff. And I was. I was so I got mad at you because you put a name in there. I was like, "Oh, that's such a good name." I sh- I can't believe I didn't think of him. It was Osiris Johnson. Yeah. Um, and so when I think about in my in my in my career of working with a team, 
the longest discussions about a single player in pre-draft meetings. Number one with a bullet, not even close, is Aaron Judge. It was half of an afternoon arguing about Aaron Judge. Number two, Osiris Johnson. Um, but talk about him a little bit because this is a uh, this is um. There sure are tools. Yeah, he was one of, if not the youngest player available in the 2018 draft. Yep, that was a big part of it. The bat speed he had at area code games, and this was like at area code games with, oh gosh, who else was in that class? Like it was not allowed. It was the, was that the Boz, Hunter Green, Mm -hmm. Royce Lewis, Terang, SoCal year. I think Torque might have been on that. NorCal area co team. Maybe I'm misremembering the year, but Osiris Johnson had the best bat speed of any of the guys I just mentioned and was the youngest one. He was swinging at absolutely everything and it wasn't clear where he would end up playing defense. Yeah. Same, same Oakland area high school that uh, produced Dontrell Willis and Jimmy Rollins. And he's related to J roll. Mm. Um, but then he got hurt. He missed a year, then missed all of 2020 because no one played baseball so, you know, a raw tools first prospect who's now missed two years of development. Pretty scary. They pushed him right to a ball and he was terrible for like three weeks. I think he hit like a buck 16 or something like that. He struck out like half of his at bats. They demoted him. He rebounded in a huge way. Like his barrel rate on the complex was just among the highest barrel rates in all of minor league baseball. He just took over the stretch. complex league for a month. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, he had, um, so he, he, you know, he had 281 in the complex. League. He had 27 hits in the complex league, 18 of those hits, two thirds for extra bases. Right. Eight bombs back to low a and was better. And again, we're talking about the old Florida state league hitting environment, right? So mm-hmm. he's still 20 at this time and he hits like 260, 330, 360, something like in there. And I just think that, like, there's extreme lift. The bat speed is still there. I don't know where he's going to play defense, but he might end up playing a bunch of different places, including a couple up the middle positions. It's just a lot of stuff I like, and the visual evaluation is still huge. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, a dart throw, but a dart throw with lots of, you know, Schrodinger's prospect type stuff (laughs) that makes me think there might be something huge under this bushel that has been hidden by injuries, pandemic, just weird shit that has nothing to do with this kid's talent, really. Uh, and then the adjustments that he made seem to like have stuck when he was sent back to low A. So right. uh, the fact that he was drafted when he was means that the Marlins have incentive to push him because this is one of those guys whose 40-man rule five timeline is looming now. Right. So I think that, yeah, him him and Noah Song, I just threw on the this like huge bounce back portion of the uh of the picks to click what do you think is going to happen with noah song do you have any details on that? i have none none like that and it's funny because i i think it's weird because um i think there are people and i don't think they're being like i don't think they're getting lied to um like the people at the red Sox are like yeah we're not really sure <laughs> so it's, it's, i don't no one think anyone really has a great understanding of of if that might break in a way different than the the rules that are written if you will um, right they always think there's a chance but they don't really know if it's going to happen i think it's some of it is because the kid 
is truly invested in being a Navy the, man. Yeah. Being a Navy man. Yeah. So, and it's understandable. I watched Noah song and Levi stout put on a fucking show for two hours and 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, first half of a double header Lehigh at, at Navy. It was packed with scouts. Fucking I had blast. a great lunch on like just outside Annapolis on some like little inlet restaurant somewhere. I don't even remember the name of it. It was just, I was in there. It was, there was me and a bachelorette party in the middle of the day. <laughs> and I was having some sort of seafood chowder and just like had watched Noah song sit 94 to 97 and with like, you know, a plus slider and Levi stat was like two to five with a plus change up. And the game was over in like, 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Eric, I said to you, I said, we're just going to do one segment. It'll be a short show. We'll just run through the top 100. And here we are at nearly two hours. Oh, God. Um, but this is, I, it's fine. It shows the, the how much we love this stuff. And I do love this stuff. And, and, and I think more than ever today, um, I didn't want to do this show. I really didn't. I just, I, I woke up and I'm like, I don't do anything. I just don't want to do this. I don't feel it's like, it's just, it just feels weird to talk about baseball right now. Um, but here I am at, at, you know, almost two hours later. And I'm just really glad that I talked to you for two hours and, and just got my mind off things. And so I just want to say thanks. Hey, uh, I share your despondence. Um, it is really hard to, at least for me, the social media stuff and like an expectation that we be on there makes it hard to Mm. like things blur. Yeah. Advertising, like anything, like if I turn on CNN, the, what they're talking about is going to be very grave. And then as soon as they go, all right, we'll be right back. Like there will just be a Burger King ad or something like that. And like all of that stuff, uh, especially over the last three years over the last six years has, has really altered my personhood. Um, and so this is another one of those moments where I am thinking about that stuff. I'm thinking about like our species and existential risk and stuff like that. And so it's going to fuck me up when I have to watch a bunch of Mormon kids play baseball tonight at (laughs) ASU. Yeah. It's just a weird thing. Like, honestly, I was sitting like last night and had, was flipping between um, CNN, who, when it first breaks, CNN's great. Like, they just have reporters on the scene telling you what's going on. They're not talking head city when they're awful. Um, and, and Al Jazeera and BBC World News. And I, you know, looking at Twitter and like and, and keeping up all stuff and feeling really down. And then every once in a while, and I'm not going to, like, pick on anyone in particular because this is, this is a me problem, not a you problem. But, like, you know, someone would tweet, you know, here's my new article about how this player might have a really good season. I would just go, fuck you. Like, read the room, man. And, but, and like I said, I didn't know how to do the show, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did, I guess is how I feel now. Me too. So thanks for wasting a couple hours with me. We hope you enjoyed the show. You know, I was like, well, it'll just be a little podcast. It'll be a short one this week, but it's not. Um, and maybe that's a good thing too. Hope you enjoyed. We'll be back, uh, hopefully in a more normal format next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you don't count the feet, I mean, all feet are.
Chin. 